Good day, everybody. Welcome to another bonus episode of the main podcast, which is called Ramble Shamble, except the bonus playlist is called Ramble Shrapnel. Here, we take little bits and pieces of the main episodes, and depending on what you guys nominate for that little, little bonus piece, or what the community upvotes the most, or whatever I feel like we should talk about instead, we spin a little bit of yarn about the main episode, but in a bit of a weird direction or a bit of a different direction, because it's impossible for us to think of everything that's under the sun of a specific episode. And that actually kind of has to do with what we're going to be talking about today, the sun, climate change. So joined again here by Mackie today. Hello. And the main episode had to do with climate change. Now, we did actually cover climate change quite extensively with the main episode. So if you guys were, talk, or were more interested about, you know, the, the common information about climate change, except with twist, check out the main episode instead. But if you're a bit of a rebel and you want to think of climate change a bit differently, then this is the place for you. So, Mackie, you're a, you're a bit of a coder and a programmer, right? Indeed I am. So, I, I find that through my own experience with coding and programming, that a lot of the time the problems that we face with any kind of task or obstacle is that we box ourselves into the problem and the facts that we're given with um, to, to too much of an extreme. And so because of that, we can't really think outside of the box towards a more creative and perhaps even a more productive solution. Do you ever find that? It is something that we engineers are trained to get out of. We are the out-of-the-box thinkers. We try to look for an engineering job like anyone that puts on a CV. It says problem solvers and out-of-the-box thinkers pretty much on every job requirement uh, things. Because, <laughs> yeah, I 100% agree with you that there, there's always a different approach. If the one approach doesn't quite work, it often just needs fr- a fresh set of eyes, someone that's probably not even involved with a project or article or item you're working on. And then they'll be able to say, why didn't you just do like that? And you end up wanting to like throw yourself into a brick wall. You think that was so obvious. How did I not see it? <laughs> yeah, that's where rubber ducking comes into play. But rubber ducking, I think rubber ducking is this amazing technique that coders use where the, the fabled story from which it comes is some prolific coder back in the day found that the best way that he could work through a problem was by explaining to his rubber duck <laughs> during fast time brilliant. what the problem was. Oh, and brilliant. just the process of explaining that to the, the, the duck got him to wrap his mind more clearly around the problem that he was facing. Awesome. And so the technique nowadays of explaining to your problem, explaining your problem to another person is that's that's basically called rubber ducking. So it doesn't have to be someone within the programming field or anything mm, like mm, that. Mm. It's just a, if you any Tom, Dick, or Harry 
But just because you need to try to communicate your problem to someone in the most basic way, so not with any of the coding jargon, yes. not with anybody inside of the industry, it gets you to fully wrap your mind around it. Oh, 100%. Because if you're, yeah, if you're going through the code, all you're thinking is like classes, variables, functions, structures, libraries, methods, coroutines, and then you, you get boxed in by all those specific terms. Mm. But if you just try to say to someone, I want this object to rotate around this object <laughs> while panning and maintaining its view on the pivot position, oh. then that's already elucidates in a bit of a clearer way. Although someone might understand even that description a bit better if they know 3D modeling or working inside a 3D space. Oh, 100%. But, so yeah, different descriptions can bring about solutions just because you can think about it a bit clearly. And so how that relates to, to climate change now is that one of the ways in which I approach problems and I got this from my own experience developing a video game, is that sometimes you need to view the, the obstacle as the solution. And that's actually a stoic teaching as well. But so in the game that I was making, I basically couldn't decide how I was going to communicate to the player what they needed to do based on a story. And then I thought, you know, there is no intuitive way for me to do this that isn't jarring in terms of the, the HUD, mm. the heads up display. And so I thought, well, maybe I should just present the player the story and that will be their guide. They have to enact the story. Then I don't have to tell them the whole time, go left, go right. I don't need to have like some kind of marker system or anything like that. And then that's the, the challenge of the game as well. The challenge is that you have to find a way in the environment to make this thing happen. But then with regards to climate change now, I thought maybe trying to prevent climate change is actually the wrong way of approaching it. Maybe we should just lean into it and accelerate climate change. <laughs> because if we can do that, if we, if we can do that, then we know what the extremes are. We know what we have to deal with and we're not trying to do preventative measures for a bunch of maybes that can happen in 50 years. You hear that? Instead you, of having... You hear that from us, instead folks. Instead of having, <laughs> like... <laughs> Get out your axe cans, having, spray it to the atmosphere. Don't forget to eat all those yeah. beans and fart. Get all that methane out of your system. No longer hold it in. Yeah. Put all those like floral hydrocarbons and shit back into fridges. <laughs> we need that now. I love it. <laughs> but basically, what I'm saying is instead of putting up a whole bunch of contingency plans for a dozen different outcomes, why not just accelerate the process, get one set outcome, and then work towards solving one problem that we can actually wrap our minds around? Yeah, so what do you think is the best way to accelerate climate change? And what do you think the effect of that will be? Yeah, what's the, what's the disaster 
waiting down that path for us. Well, I just want to say first, that was a, that's a brilliant way of thinking because if you know how to accelerate it, you also know how to not just prepare for the outcome to come out, but as well as how to almost decelerate it. So <laughs> the the biggest thing that I could think that would 100% accelerate our impending climate change that would hit us hard and fast is basically lift all uh, requirements set out in industries that are uh, because each industry depending on the region is allowed to release a certain amount of chemicals and toxic gases that fall part of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere and this includes SO2 uh, making acid rain that kind of stuff so the best way to kind of accelerate, in my opinion, of global warming would definitely be just revoke all those things and say, you guys, you guys can, don't worry about put, uh, replacing those expensive filters. Just release whatever you want to release. Hey, heck, if you want to put in some nuclear waste inside of those uh, burning machineries, go ahead, go, go wild. <laughs> Let the ions flow. <laughs> Man, I could just imagine our world going from like this relatively peaceful era, I say relatively, to this complete, complete toxic wasteland of an of a world. Oh my gosh. So, How would so you what do, do you it? think the effect of that would be? Um if we were to do okay, I'm gonna revo- revoke the nuclear waste because that's not necessarily flammable, it's nuclear, so it's generally just radioactive. But just it'll be hundred percent, hundred percent. Mutant fish flying out of this, uh, actually developing legs and hands. Um, I would love to see that. But in realism term, there will be a mass population drop. So, in a way, in our attempts to accelerate green, uh, greenhouse gases and global warming, we would kill quite a quite a large portion of the uh, living organisms on our planet. So there'll be major acid rains that will like pour down and dissolve buildings, cars, people, uh, corrode it, pretty much everything. Um, but we will see a massive spike in uh, gases. People will be uh, going to hospitals more regularly because they'll be choking about poisonous gases. Some people will already be passed out dead or they'll be dead in their sleep. So these gases would be rampant, but we'll see a dramatic increase in greenhouse gases. These things were to pump. Look, the, the, quant- the quantity of what we currently release is probably like 13%. Maybe uh, that's, that's going that's a bit more on the extreme side. But these industries are holding back as much as they can. And if we just like unleash that, like unlock that mechanism and bypass the forces completely, geez, we would be in a much more chaotic hazardous areas like any anything that anything i'm not just saying uh living organisms anything around that area is just gonna die in like the first two months okay that's a bit of a bleak and uh distressing take on on it but <laughs> i i don't think that it would go that badly if we did accelerate even factory emissions and all of those kinds of things because people wouldn't just quietly sit back and let themselves be slowly poisoned over time. Uh, you think adapting. you think that people, people in China? Oh, I would. Uh, people, hate. <laughs> I, I think that people would start adapting to that pretty soon. So, if we, if there was acid rain and such happening, um, 
granted, I don't know the science, but I assume that the acid rain and acid rain has a different density compared to pure water. And in as much as that, there would be different weather systems and different cycles and patterns of the acid rain uh, occurrences, just like any other kind of uh, rain system where certain areas would be hit hardest and certain areas would hit, be hit barely at all. And once we've established what that pattern is, slowly human populations would move towards those less um, affected areas of acid rain. And we would know that the areas that like have acid rain are areas that we should be using for like massive factories and stuff like that because there'll be less people there or places where automation can fully be enacted. I agree with that, but then those places would require, because for those people to, for the workers, because obviously you need people there itself, obviously having robotics, robots would be the best course of action. But uh, you are right, uh, the acid rain does have a different density, but it is dissolvable in water. So um, here's a little like industry thing for you for acid. Um, weak acid, which is very high in water, but very low in acid, is highly corrosive. So it would corrode metals and things a lot higher quickly. Strong acid is less corrosive, but more deadly to human. So you have this mixture of both highly corrosive substance as well as highly, uh, say, harmful to humans. So if we had like this automation in these places, our items that we'd be getting out of these places would be much poor quality and probably would degrade in a worse fashion if they were to be manufactured outside of this area. So it's a, it's a, it's a big, uh, no, no, it's no, a big no. balancing game. For, for me, I just, from what you just told me, it sounds ideal then because no, because you, that, that, you, that type of acids that kill us aren't the type of acids that corrode things the fastest. Which but you have a mixture of the two. Be, but there would be less. So there would be. So then you just put all the machinery and things inside of the areas that are high acid. But the, but you can't control that because think of a humid humid but, but high humidity environment. And yes, but the high humidity environment. <laughs> yeah, and then when the pattern arises, then we put all the machinery inside the high acid area where nobody can look. But then how do we get there? How do we make uh, I guess you could put on suits and stuff. But yeah, uh how would you how would you accelerate global warming? I'm actually curious from you. Hitting down my so, and stuff. So I would say everybody live it up. Live up live, live the high life. Go like party, drive everywhere, <laughs> let all the diesel and stuff pump. In fact, not only that, we want you guys to be creative and we want you guys to discover new sources of fossil fuels or ways in which fossil fuels can be made even more efficient, even if it means that there are worse emissions. Um, in fact, that's actually what we want because we want more emissions. To but even then, yeah. a, to create enough of a greenhouse effect where the polar ice caps melt already now, which means that there will be more fresh water in the biosphere that's being circulated. And then we just let things play out. We see all where all the water coagulates more and rains more. So 
Granted, there will be a lot more desertification happening. Um, the deserts will grow. Lots of other areas will have droughts and things. But then other areas will have high concentrations of uh, rainfall and fertility as a result of that as well, which will mean that we know exactly where to put our new farmlands. And we know that in the areas where there are droughts, that's actually where human populations need to live. Um, and then we just need to, uh, and I say that purely because, <clears throat> because we can actually counter desert environments with air conditioning and sufficient logistics for fresh water and such. Um, like, I mean, they built, um, the, the United Arab Emirates or whatever. They built that and they built Dubai in the middle of a desert. Like we can, we can live in a desert, people. Don't kid yourselves. If so we can sacrifice enough human lives. <laughs> yes. So we got to throw a lot of cabin fodder to get the place established. <laughs> and let's, let's be realistic. People are going to die anyway. Climate change, like whether 2 billion people die over the course of 300 years or over the course of the next 30 years, like it's going to be bad. But the sooner all the bad stuff has gone past, the sooner we can build towards actually dealing with the problem. I feel like we are the improved version of climate activists. I'm not sure if you've seen those very briefly because I know this is a short episode. What the climate activists have been doing to promote or try to save an environment, they've been gluing their hands, or sorry, they've been throwing paint on priceless artworks, which is disgusting, and then gluing their hands on the wall and say, and then saying how we are killing the world and these paintings are not as precious as we think. And we're just the upgraded version. We, we go where they are literally pouring gasoline on the streets. We're like saying, guys, if you, you're doing it all at like too little, you must go extreme, push it to yeah. the environment. <laughs> Blow up the oil tankers, damn it. <laughs> think, think bigger, bigger. <laughs> But I think yeah. I think we need to add something to the end of this ep this episode. Is guys, what we say is obviously one approach which humanity could take a little more drastic and um, dramatic. But there could be some truth behind what we just discussed here. Where exploring, pushing harder into fossil fuels, we might find better ways to controlling those emissions and get more out of what we are burning. So in theory, we could be burning less. Something to yeah. ponder. So I, I think that there's a lot more human suffering that can come about if we try to reduce the emissions and the factories and all of that mm, kind of mm. stuff, especially to newly developing nations. Whereas 100%. if we let them develop faster, and that means there are more people that enter the brain pool towards solving the problems in creative ways as well. The only people that can actually afford to reduce their emissions and their development our first world countries, where all the shit and the poverty has already been sorted out. But it's the places that are living steeped in poverty and that need the infrastructure that just need to get that stuff solved quicker before they can get to the same level of reducing that stuff. Imagine you have a very tender nether region and you want a, a, Brazilian, a Brazilian down there, right? You're not going to like 
slowly and agonizingly peel off the wax strip. No, my friend, you're going to rip it off one time. And yeah, so instead of a long agonizing process to get towards the outcome, I think we should just do it quickly, as quickly as possible. And then we can, then all that new exposed tender flesh will have room to heal instead of suffer. And the world of survival of the fittest is born. Yeah. Okay, everyone, let us know what you think. If you think that that was total, totally nuts, that's not a productive way to approach it, let us know in the comments and um, give us a dislike if you really feel like it. But I think that there is, <laughs> I, I do feel like there is a lot of value to this approach as well. So yeah. for those of you, those entrepreneurs and those visionaries that agree with me, give us a like and uh, five star review on Apple or Spotify if you are so inclined. And yeah, join us next time. Bye bye. Thank Thanks, Elon Musk. Bye bye.